0: Hey, family, welcome to the Kinship Collective podcast. This is a conversation that ends otherness. I'm Mark, and we are telling stories that cultivate kinship and reimagine scripture together. Quick announcement before we get into episode 68. We are launching a digital reimagine cohort on Thursday, October 12th. It will meet at 730 on Thursdays for about eight weeks straight we'll have a little thanksgiving break in there but each week people will gather from around the world digitally to share their personal stories to reflect on our book and to report back on the ways that we've kind of followed through on whatever action items came out of the week before Ultimately it gives us context It helps us to reconstruct And to own our faith In a way that's integrated In a way that takes into consideration All of who we are This is a safe space to integrate your faith You can find more information About cost, curriculum, everything At www.thekinshipcollective.org Slash reimagine cohort Ah, This week We get to have a conversation with Dr. Alma zaragoza Petty. She's a Mexicana social justice advocate and scholar who teaches equity to create change. We discuss her new book, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice. Alma shares her story of integrating mind, body, and spirit in ways that have provoked healing for her and have provoked healing conversations around the world. You'll hear beautiful integrations of Mexican heritage and imagery inviting you to own your inner badass. Without further ado, here's Doctora Alma. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have from Huntington Park (laughs) an incredible (laughs) human. I think what I love about Her book, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice, there is a grounded uh, sense of power. I think it's the meekness that people might point to in scriptures. It's not overdoing it. It's not, I have something to prove. It is a generous, candid sharing of her story, her integration of spirituality and lived experience and history and tradition. It's healing. Um. It's just such a gift and it invites others to take that journey. It, gives, it, give, it gave me, so I experienced permission. And I ex, first of all, permission to integrate places I've been and cultural identity and spiritual identity. It also gave me permission to um, validate, to hear someone else put words to different things that I have felt being in between, being multicultural, being maybe multi-spiritual. It was an extraordinary book. So today we get to have an incredible conversation with our hermana, Doctora Alma Zaragoza-Petty. Give it up for Doctora Alma.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Not the applause. All right, awesome. All the applause. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We've been it.
0: waiting for hours while we work out our technical <laughs> stuff. Sorry, studio, studio audience.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: Alma, thank you for making hello, time hello. to be with us today and to talk about your book. Um, I'm so grateful you're here.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for the invitation and for that lovely intro. Um, you know, when one sets out to write a book, at least in my heart, I was like, you know, if I change one person's life to feel more connected and more you know alone i've done my job and so to just hear what actually has been done through the book you know cuz once it's out of my hands it's like people will take it and it'll do things and i'm like oh okay well i didn't i didn't plan for that but okay or it'll be like wow all right you're you're giving it all that credit all right i love that you know so thank you for your generous words and just appreciation of it
0: you're so welcome i'm going to jump right in in your book you talk about where you've come from. You talk about different aspects of your life that shape how you're experiencing the world. Would you give those people who don't know you some perspective into some of the things that shape how you see the world?
1: Yeah. So I was uh, born in in LA, kind of like the Northeast LA area, which is where I live now. Um, but I spent a lot of my childhood, um, not only moving around, but also living abroad in a different country um, in the motherland, Mexico, where my parents were from. And so I lived in Acapulco, Guerrero. And um, I got to really experience some interesting coming back, you know, to the U.S. when I was eight, kind of, you know, very formative years uh, living In Huntington Park for the most of my like you know late childhood early adolescence and being bused to uh, Watts to go to a school in my middle in my elementary years also really shaped the way that I saw the world so I feel like in many ways though being Mexicana and really having a strong foundation um, just in my home and home environment I was also kind of thrust into these other environments that were very different for me and so for example, like the elementary school, which I talk about in my book, you know, it was predominantly African-American. And so uh, all of my, most of my teachers there were African-American and I learned so much from them and their lived experience and how much, you know, they loved their work and they wanted us to really love ourselves for who we were and where we were and all the, you know, beautiful intersections. And so I think, you know, growing up, having those different perspectives, cultural, like Differences from be living in Mexico, living in the US, living in like really um, predominantly or going to school in a predominantly African American community, and then going back to my house, which literally felt like no different than being in Mexico again because, <laughs> you know, we watched like Spanish syndicated television, mm. like radio shows, like we, my parents spoke Spanish, you know, we ate all the Mexican food. So it was just like, um, our own little, you know, enclave too. Um, And that's why we lovingly call Huntington Park Ranchington Park because it really felt like kind of being back in Mexico in many ways. But anyway, all those experiences, I think really shaped the way that I started to see the world in how different people were living depending on different conditions or just different experiences and really, kind of question like, wow, why, why is that? Like, what, what is, what is there? You know, uh, where does that come from? Like, why are we having these different realities? Um, and so, in my book, I really, rather, what I usually noticed in books that I kind of picked up to, to want to grow or want to like change or just kind of self, kind of um, care and growth. Uh, One of the things that I felt was that I was actually escaping my reality, like, because a lot of times I didn't, I didn't resonate with those, with those writers and in their own lived experiences. And I didn't want that. I wanted a book where we could enter more deeply into our reality. Like, how can we use what we, what we've been through, where we're from, how we grew up to really get to know ourselves, uh, rather than like a turning away or a running away from ourselves, you Mm -hmm. know, which is something that I felt, um you know because of my own lived experience of then going off being the first high school college graduate going off to you know earn a doctor, you know a doctorate and and all of that really took me away from my community and i was also i think missing a reintegration into that and mm-hmm. and that was also i think a big a big sort of spiritual thing that was happening as i was writing the book i think it was also a coming to to myself mm-hmm. a coming to to just uh, loving where I was and, and, and all the different things that at one point felt so inextricably like apart and just saying like, no, these are all me. These are all part of me. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me and just kind of my journey and, and why it really kind of shaped the way I think the book ended up, you know, um, I ended up writing the book and, and the ideas that I confront throughout the book.
0: Mm-hmm. When you talked about that journey of holding all of the spaces in you, not being able to find a voice that was honoring, that made you get more rooted into your story, and that felt less like escaping your story and more like mm-hmm. being rooted and set, uh, grounded into your own story. That made me think of your idea of uh, the idea that you talk about in your book, uh, Coyote. And for me, growing up, where I grew up, around the familias that I grew up in, where I learned Spanish, a, a coyote is something different. And I think you might in, talk about it a little bit in the book. Uh, I'll find mm-hmm. a quote that you talk about it, but would you share a little bit about, because for me, when I hear you saying, writing this helped me to settle in, to me, I hear, oh, Al, Alma's a, a coyote. Alma's, even this book is this act of helping people cross or or find the place mm-hmm. where they can be grounded and call home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're talking about chapter five, which is living in Nepantra mm-hmm. and how to become a culture coyote. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really wrestled with in my own, just trying to make sense of my, not only my professional identity, my, my just, you know, my spiritual identity, just all the different parts of who I am were these like, things that felt very disparate, you know, like there's there's the cathol the the Catholic, like, you know, young girl that went through all the sacraments. There's the, you know, the older sort of becoming an atheist and like not really wanting to dive into any of that anymore and just kinda of walking away from all of mm-hmm. it. And then the like you, you know, reinviting again the spiritual sense into my life of wanting to have something more and, and you know, visiting more sort of protestant um non denominational Christian churches, and for a long time, it really felt like there were these aspects of me that I could not sort of integrate you know and there and I kept wrestling with the idea of just how not only colonized like our own mm. world is and the and the sort of like the effects of it but also even like our imaginations mm. and like how. Even the way that we think about ourselves is so colonized because it's, we think of ourselves as like, you know, like my body, my soul, my this, like all the different parts, as opposed to this mind, body, soul, being thing that I kind of refer to in the book as well. Mm -hmm. And to me, being a cultural coyote is basically an invitation to say, hey, we don't, we have this in our own culture. Like we know coyotes, right? Like the folks that, you know, there's some problematic and very, negative, um, you know, uh, aspects of of the coyote because it has been an abused position by a lot of people mm-hmm. that help people transfer from one, you know, from borderlands, right? Like physical borderlands, like from Mexico to the U.S., for example, there's mm-hmm. coyotes that um, help people cross over, right? Um, and that has been a position that has always happened, that has always occurred, you know, and there's, I think, a lot of legacies and histories that have shown... You know, like I'm thinking of like Harriet Tubman, like she was a Coyote Coyote. in many ways. Like she Mm -hmm. was, she was bringing people from one part of the land to a different to experience this like freedom or this different kind of um, way of being, right? And like fullness to themselves um, within the context, obviously. And so, to me, like this idea of a culture Coyote is really about rather than. you know, taking on this colonial ways of thinking about ourselves as these very different things within ourselves is like, no, we're we're constantly doing this within ourselves. We're like culture coyotes in the sense that we move through things, we move through spaces, and we come back, and we're all of that. We're not just the this one, like, separate things that we have to, like, somehow negotiate into the other, but that we can be in this Nepantla state of just ever, you know ever being or just ever becoming mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I love that we have an example from our own culture. And so that's why I was like, I'm going to use this, you know, this idea of a coyote and kind of think about the ways that we already do this. We already, this is a familiar concept for us. And that's basically what I'm saying that we're doing for ourselves as well. We're like bridging those different um, divides.
0: Mm-hmm. When, you, when you began to share about that, and you started to talk about even the ways that our imagination is stunted. It's colonialized by ev- the way all the things around us are set up. And I felt myself, as I was reading the book, finding language. And like my notes are like, whoa, this like even imagination, like how can, and you talked about describing or creating a new world. And I have some different quotes from that. But I do want to spend, I'm going to go to page 102. And you talked about, you brought up Franz Fanon's quote. He said, Confronted with the colonial order, the, colonialized, or the colonized subject is in a permanent state of tension. The muscles of the colonized are always tensed, is that sense of just kind of always being kind of like stuck. Uh, but then in, in the next page, or uh, you, a couple pages later, You talk about imagination and, oh yeah. And you talk about this on 114. says, is it possible to be fully aware of society's expectations or all the ways that um, there is colonialized thinking embedded and colonialized power structures embedded into society? Is it possible to be fully aware of that, that you either fail to succeed in ways that they define and still strive for a different world, which to me goes to that imagination thing. I feel like you're mm-hmm. living into that. What does that feel like for you now?
1: I mean, I feel like uh, like what I said in the book and that it's still scary and lonely sometimes, you know? It, mm-hmm. it really forces you to build your resistance and courage. Um, I mean, I felt like I kind of had to do that this weekend, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I... Um one of the questions that I that I sometimes get, you know, when whenever I for you know, talk about my book is people are curious about how my family um how the, how it's sitting with my family, you know? Like how did what did they think about in the <laughs> Like
0: your the family way that you of origin. Not your family. <laughs> my no. family of origin. Yeah,
1: yeah. My family of origin. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I talk a lot about trauma, right? Like all mm-hmm. oh, my mother wounds and all mm-hmm. these um different experiences that really shaped who I am. Mm-hmm. Um uh, for instance, being a witness of domestic violence mm-hmm. um from some of my extended family, et cetera and um it really this weekend i mean uh you know my my mom, I think she's getting bits and pieces from of my book from like family members mm-hmm. um and it was I was like really scared that she was gonna confront me with like you know this part about mother wounds mm-hmm. right and like mm-hmm. just wanting to talk about it um and i think she did in her own way but what i thought was really interesting when as we were talking was that i really started to feel like scared in that you know in many ways there i'm like this public persona or this public my story is kind of publicly shared mm-hmm. but i'm still this person that has a mom and that has a contentious relationship with that mm-hmm. mom you know and and when she wanted to talk about it i was just like oh man this feels really scary because I'm having to merge this like things that I feel really like comfortable sharing publicly with all these like, you know, uh, creative names or like ideas that I've, I've put out there, whatever. And then like the reality of like, this is my mom. Like she like crossed the border and like supported me, Mm -hmm. you know, in the best way she could. And she's asking me about this book. Mm -hmm. And so I just had to, you know, kind of dig into some courage and say, like, yeah, this is, you know, this, I talk about my experience, how I felt like for me. And I was very cautious, um, to not name names and not tell someone else's story because I feel that, that is, that isn't for me to do, mm-hmm. you know, but what it was for me to do was to share my own way, my own story and how I, I kind of was impacted by it. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. Like I've talked to other people that, you know, our first gen, um, you know, their families are like from immigrant communities or from different parts of the world Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think we share that there's this reverence for like our elders where like you just do not, um, you know, expose ourselves this way. Right. Or we just don't talk about those things you respect, et cetera. Um, But in many ways, you know, I have to keep living like, well, do we just respect for the sake of respect or do we talk about some of that, some of that pain and some of the things that, created you know an an environment where we didn't feel supported or we don't we didn't feel like we could really um live our sort of fullness Mm -hmm. you know and so so yeah um i feel like you know i i definitely still struggle with it Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's definitely being a chingona that was the other thing too that you know there was some some feedback from my family uh about just naming my book chingona and how um not dishonorable, but just like this idea that like you presumida, the muy muy kind of idea that I talk about in my mm-hmm. book, you know, like saying like, "Oh, okay, Alma thinks she's a chingona," yep. or "I watch out," mm-hmm. you know. I'm like, "No, I'm inviting us all to be chingonas," mm-hmm. you know. If you like read my book, <laughs> then you would know. I'm not just saying like this is the ways that I'm a chingona. No, I'm saying. It's hard, it's messy, it's dark sometimes to get to that part of you that is a chingona that has that resistance and courage to keep going, uh, be, you know, even when you're the first in your family to do that thing or break that cycle or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like it's a life it'll be a lifelong process for me too. Yeah.
0: I remember, you know, taking down some notes about some of my own family wounds and the names of them mm-hmm. and it was really around some of that chapter Um, La Muy Muy, but really around like how some of the mindset of what is colonialized, how that affected my family members, and how that affected me. Mm -hmm. But I I could just see myself kind of processing through it in the margins of your book. One of the Mm -hmm. ideas that is really powerful that you share in your book is about when you talk about this wound, your mother wound, you talk about sharing our cicatrices. And… I'd love for you. I mean, I'll pull out some some quotes here, uh, but to share about that idea of sharing our scars, naming and reframing our scars. So mm-hmm. I'll pull out one of the quotes, but I think it it really ties to what you're talking about here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you know. I don't know if you know kind of the backstory of my book and 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 even what set off the journey into writing it. Um, But it was a very spiritual one. So for a really long time, I really felt wounded. You know, I felt like there was, there had been um, these moments in my life where I had been um, oppressed in in different ways, whether it was in like my family or just kind of outwardly in my profession or just in like different spaces that I was in. And for a long time, I kind of lived in that space, you know, feeling kind of like, um, you know, just really... Uh, not only depressed, like it didn't just set in as a depression, but it also kind of was just something that I had to learn, um, was also not healthy for me. Like it was, it was a place where it wasn't generative, right? It Mm -hmm. wasn't a place where I was growing or whatever. And so I, you know, through this whole time, I was also seeing a therapist and just kind of processing a lot and, and figuring my life out. Um, and, and at one point, I just remember thinking, like, I really want to write a book. Like, I've always felt like I wanted to write a book, and I've I've, I've always felt that I specifically wanted to write a book for me um, when I was in my twenties. And I mm-hmm. wish I had a book that I could have related to and understood and spoke my language, so to speak, in mm-hmm. terms of that, you know, that in betweenness and and that and that um, specific in betweenness with being a Lat- you know a first gen Latina and. And kind of, you know, undoing a lot of uh, intergenerational trauma and also, you know, growing as a professional um, in a very different different kind of profession um, in that it was like no longer like working class, right? It was like this the, these other kinds of positions. And so all that to say that, you know, I kept saying to myself, like, yeah, I'm going to write a book one day. I'm going to write a book one day. And then there was an instance of like a week in my life right before COVID where like, Everyone I was speaking to was, was like, you need to write a book mm. before I even mentioned that I was writing, that I wanted to ever write a book. Right. And one of those people was actually my therapist and my therapist who also works with a lot of, um, lat- you know, Latinos from different generations and just, you know, some of the things that we go through and. Mm-hmm was like, no, you really need to write a book. Like I believe in it so much that like I am going to help you self-publish if that's what I what it takes. Mm. And I was just like, wow, that's pretty like that sounds serious. You know, like you really believe in it that much. Mm-hmm. And so I think that really like set me off into really um taking it taking myself more serious and taking like how do I then talk about these wounds in a way that's going to be generative, mm-hmm. and how do I come back? And so that was my process was a lot of the chapters. I mean, I was like, you know, all snotted up, reading them to my therapist on a weekly basis <laughs> uh, as I was writing because I was still like healing myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of those, in one of those times, I had this really beautiful breakthrough, which was like, oh my gosh, I've I've been seeing cicatrices, which is the Spanish word for scars as these like ugly things that I kind of have to hide or that are a part of me, but like, I don't really want, or I've never really owned. And what would it look like if instead I see it as like, literally like, you know, when you see a a wound, when it starts to heal, if you start to see the scar as actually healing, that's what it is. It's, it's actually healing. Right. And so I started to kind of rethink like, yeah, what if I saw, You know, all the things that I've gone through or that I went through uh, from that place of like, oh, these were wounds, but they are actually not living wounds. There are scars now, they're cicatrices. Mm -hmm. And so, in many ways, now they're just these beautiful, this beautiful like tapestry in my soul that is who I am rather than these ugly things that I want to run away from or hide or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think because of that, I think a lot of therapists or people that work, you know, uh, licensed clinical workers, for example, they're, I often get messages from them on like social media and they're just like, oh my gosh, thank you for your book. Like I'm totally using it with my patients. And I'm like, it's so crazy because I really do get to that very, um, you know, like psychological, healing, spiritual level of that. I think in, in the ways that I talk about cicatrices and I think it's very relatable. I think we all, you know, have some sort of thing that we really feel vulnerable around, you know, in terms of our wounds Mm -hmm. and then how do we shift and how do we start changing that to really like empower us to be like, no, this just makes me who I am. It just makes kind of like this beautiful kind of tapestry, you know, I keep kind of going to that metaphor of like, this is just gives it, you know, like its own unique flavor of who I am. And so,
0: Mm. you know,
1: Yeah, that's kind of where, you know, I was going with the cicatrices and, and yeah, it's, it's, it can get very deep. And, you know, I think a lot of that is because, as I mentioned, I was actually writing this with the help of my own therapist. Mm -hmm.
0: You you know, when you mentioned that the, the language around a tapestry, and we're talking about what it looks like to integrate and the coyote that can go in between these different spaces of who we are, and the cicatrices can become the thing that actually integrates both of those things together it's the mm-hmm. it's the connectivity between yeah. wound and healing or hope the the new imagination and the mm-hmm. um, the tattooed memory of pain the cicatrice is what can like what what integrates them, what connects them together yeah. and what holds us together and so yes. it sounds uh, it makes a a whole lot of sense that your therapist would help you walk through this in a way that would empower other therapists to help other people walk through it too. I'm going to read this uh, quote from page 157 says owning your inner chingona involves learning mind, body, spirit, awareness, naming and reframing your scars, trusting yourself to find harmony, joy and peace. What scars do you carry and how can you see them as signs of healing rather than merely of woundedness so funny i love that like it's a podcast she's for the listeners almost deep in thought she's just heard something that was so deep she's just like oh that was that was deep whoever wrote like, that yeah. is nice uh-huh.
1: no i think i i'm always kind of taken aback when whenever there's certain parts that really resonate for folks you know, uh, about my book. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I remember. I think I said that.
0: <laughs> well, because earlier you um, talked about instead of a divided idea, colonial mindset, this right. is your mind. This is your body. This is your spirit. You're talking about how do we grow to that place where we learn yes. mind, body, spirit, awareness. I want to talk about that a little bit. And then I want to talk about how do we come and how did you come to trust yourself to find harmony, joy, and peace instead of looking to others to create harmony, joy, and peace for you? Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, I think one of the early signs that I think really helped in that path was learning to sit by, with myself um, in a, in a kind of quiet meditative space and learning to just let, you know, whatever was coming up, come up. So for instance, like if there were, you know, feelings of whatever kinds of feelings were coming up, allowing them to just be there as opposed to trying to fix them, trying to eradicate them, trying to, you know, not deal with their, whatever, you know, unhealthy kind of ways one might imagine you could deal with emotions that just come up. And I think one of the first um I like I remember, you know, just kind of sitting one time and after, you know, w- when those things would come up, having to like process those and being like, "Okay, what is this about? What is this kind of showing me right now? Or what are these uh emotions kind of bringing up for me? Or what are what are some things that I need to resolve so that this doesn't I don't feel this right in my my spirit or whenever I'm with myself was um uh, when I started to finally just hear nothing and I remember when I first started to hear nothing and just kind of sit with myself and just be calm I remember just being like wanting to to think that I was like alone and lonely like I wanted to go to like oh my gosh like this is freaky like why is this so quiet why is this like lonely like I don't like this right it was like kind of uncomfortable and then as I sat more and more with it I was like oh my gosh this is peace Mm. (laughs) like this is literally peace like not having a thing to deal with not having emotions that are swaying me one way or another or that I feel like I need to kind of you know allow myself to feel through or think through whatever but just kind of sitting there and just being like you know and I I think a a lot of times we confuse that for loneliness or for being alone or for even maybe boredom you know (sighs) when really it's like how beautiful is this piece like I'm just like like just chilling and I am perfectly okay and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. Like I, don't, yeah. I think when you're, when you've also been like had a psychic split for so long or kind of gone through a lot of, um, you know, another thing that reason for the book was just, you know, coming out of a very deep depression, like learning how to then kind of find those moments of joy and hope and peace. And, and sometimes when you've been hurt or hurting or, you know, haven't dealt with things, when it finally comes, you we, you confuse it, you know, you confuse that for just wanting something around or wanting someone because you feel like you're now alone, but it's not, it's peace. It's actually very beautiful peace just pre- being presented and you're just, and it kind of takes a minute because you're we're so used to being wrapped up in something, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that answered your question, <laughs> but, but I ended up going to just that, I remember just that, Vividly, you know, just that one time just sitting there and just being like, oh my gosh, I think this is what people talk about when they say they they feel peace, Mm -hmm. you know, and just being really amazed by it. Mm -hmm.
0: To me, what comes up as you're sharing that is about, is healing and how people find that pathway to healing. You've mentioned a couple times about Mm -hmm. the level of depression that you were feeling and your road, your road to finding healing and to establishing your own Mind, body, spirit, unity, harmony, peace, and now that mm-hmm. that has become a part of many people's journey to establishing that, when you think of healing and what it means to establish that peace, what comes to your mind as? And it's really not about a a pathway. I, it's funny because I'm, I'm there's like several ways to ask this question, mm-hmm. but I. I'm really more curious about your story. I'm thinking of the person who's listening and they are in the, they're in a space where they are, it's maybe it's a seasonal anxiety because the job, they've transitioned in job and they're just early on it. They just feel humen, tremendous pressure to perform. Or the person who's been like dealing with low-grade depression for so long, maybe it's mm-hmm. just that's become the baseline. When you think of healing for that person, what comes to mind?
1: For people in those situations? Yeah. Um, well, I, don't, I, I guess because I kind of lived through that, you know, a lot of it, I can't help but kind of reference a lot of my experience in terms of, you know, those dark moments and like, how do you how do you reconcile right like during those like really dark moments um like what to do or where to be and I think oftentimes um you don't have like when you're in those moments like I remember you know like you don't have foresight to be like hey I'm gonna be fine like there's gonna be a time when all of this will then be history in my own life or will be a sort of a learning a learning moment and just, you know, and I'll be in a different place. Um And I think, you know, I, when, I think that when you are in there, if it's so hard to do it on your own, like you need to have support and people around you to be able to be that voice that can't, doesn't have the foresight yet of mm-hmm. like, hey, it's not always going to feel this way because it won't, you know, there's, Whether it be like your own, you know, if it's either like a long sort of journey out of depression or if it's like, you know, something shorter, there's like pills that help with that. There's, you know, your own sort of uh, growth and and just kind of, you know, letting that be and just kind of letting that be the reality for now and know and kind of just um, surviving, you know, and it's okay sometimes that that's where you are, where you're in the surviving. And the hustle kind of, uh, you know, part of life, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that at some point, you know, like it won't, it won't uh, change, right? And so, but I think that that's super hard to do it on your own. Like you need community, you need others, you need to see how others have overcame, have overcome those, those types of episodes to be able to, to understand that like there is, there is a time when this will no longer be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I could have done it without other chingonas around me. And that's, and that's the, you know, part of why, um, in my book, I kind of, you know, talk about, like, we're all kind of doing this to different varying degrees, right? Like some of us, you know, have this low grade thing that maybe we're dealing with, or some of us have these acute moments in time, but all the while we have, if we surround ourselves with other people who are sort of aiming for also being, living in their true sort of authentic, like fullness, then it helps us to be like, okay, we're, we're not going to always be here. You know, like there, there is sort of something can happen after this. Like it doesn't have, it doesn't end here. Um, and then there's the, you know, once you're out of there, like learning how to forgive yourself too, for maybe having been in that for a little too long or like not knowing how to get out or all the things, all the convoluted things that come up because you're, you, you didn't know you only knew what you knew at that time. Right. And, and being able to forgive ourselves that like, Oh, it's okay that my journey was that, you know, and that, um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, get out of that sooner or whatever there. because there, I think what also happens after the fact is this, the sense of looking back at yourself and being like, man, I wish I could have been a more like safe or loved or protected person to myself Mm -hmm. but I wasn't, I was in survival and that's what I was able to do. And, you know, Mm -hmm. but anyway, I don't know. Um, there's just like so many ways I can answer that question, but I feel like the number one thing, whenever I think of these, like, like very big sort of, um, emotions that may come up and that are maybe over an extended time is that community, community is how Mm -hmm. you get through that. And I feel like that's why I, even like dedicated this book to all the chingona women that were around me and that were showing me how, you know, things could change or be different or, or how I could even grow.
0: Mm. Yeah. As soon as the question came out of my mouth, I was like, yeah, she's not a, she's not a therapist doctor. She's a different kind of doctor. So, <laughs> this is, But I did want to hear <laughs> your <laughs> perspective. And I think, yeah,
1: I mean, I have a counseling background and I kind of, you know, I don't, I'm not a therapist, but, I know that, com- that support and community is such a huge factor. Yeah,
0: you know, when you were sharing about that, for me, what I was thinking of is like diverse community. And I think mm. that, I know for me, when I look around, like I have different kinds of relationships with different people. But when you were sharing about this part, for me, it makes sense. Like it's usually the person who can share with you a little bit further down your road is gonna be someone a little bit mm-hmm. older. And if you can only be candid and vulnerable with people your age or like some power dynamic of that with people younger than you, you need people farther down the road from you or, I mean, who have gone through this. People in our own age or even younger than us kind of have gone through these things. But when you were sharing with that, I was just thinking, man, I think we need more mentors in, mm-hmm. in our lives and in the world. Um, and not all mentors in age it doesn't equate maturity. But sometimes we're right. looking to people who have less experience or the same amount of experience as us to show us how to mm-hmm. get through the next phase. And we need people who've been through there. That's the why the coyote can mm-hmm. show the way is because they've been through there already. Mm-hmm. They're not imagining some pathway. That's why I think your right. book is so powerful. You walked with your therapist through the thing. Mm-hmm. Man, that's powerful. I think I want to get back to uh, the idea because when you're talking about your evolution or your growth and transformation through this season, how you move from one space to another, it made me think about how you hold space for the things and the interconnectedness Mm -hmm. of that, which gets back to that idea of uh, Nepat. I always forget, I I mix the N and the L. I always wanna say (laughs) Nepantla or Nepantla.
1: I do the same, yeah, I totally get it. I do the same, (laughs) Uh, Nepantla. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: But I'm gonna to go to page one thirty and it's around giving yourself permission. That second part of that question about how you name harmony, how you can encounter it, when you grow up in many kind of Christian tradition spaces or many, I would even say spiritual spaces, we're trained, regardless of if that's Protestant or Catholic or I mean, from what I've seen from the outside looking in different spiritual traditions, you're still looking to somebody else to name the things for you. And they become the kind of spiritual authority in your life. You mentioned this idea of how you can name it and sense it from within. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a page from, I'm going to read from page 130. I have a huge chunk outlined. I'm just going to read a (laughs) part of it and see where we go from here. It says, I thought of Christianity as a faith of the colonizers, the spiritual structure that justified the taking of land and religion and other people's bodies. Except when I look closer, I realize that the Christian faith didn't need to be greedy or white or just for men. This faith tradition was a rootedness available for everyone. It was born from a group of people fighting power from the margins, from a man, Jesus, who crossed borders and lived in the in-between spaces. And this faith has become a spiritual path that helps me understand the lostness we sometimes feel in the in-between. It goes down to say, it helps me learn to lead from a place of marginality. When I can no longer keep up with the lucha, I remember my ancestor Jesus and how he defied it all, the whole freaking system. He was the original mentor in having a wise face and a good heart. when you hear that yeah, quote I, yeah
1: yeah i was just going to say like i totally remember um, really struggling with not not when i was writing this but in my own sort of spiritual path really struggling with with understanding why i would want to follow this type of religion or why would i want to be a part of this because of all of the different ways that it's been co-opted by by different people over generations and has lost its grittiness and its actual history. It's been so historicized you know, and so, um, co- co- colonized and, and, just, it's so far from what it is, what it was, you know, what it was intended to be in, in, in its time. And so, um, I, I, I kind of went through this season of just wanting even to reclaim, like Jesus specifically like in a in the with a Spanish word because it just feels closer, you know, it just feels mm-hmm. like this closer entity. Um and it just I I just remember really wanting to find a way to really almost be like multi-spiritual, like being able mm-hmm. to have the you know this this newfound spirituality sort of in my late um adult years or, you know, kind of closer to, to now and then making sense of what, what the Catholic churches would focus on, which a lot of it had to do with like actually doing things for the community, like social, much more what I would say is social justice oriented, right? Like mm-hmm. like all kind of pulling money together and doing it for this one thing together. And we all knew what it was going for. And it was for this thing that was usually a social justice case you know it was either like immigration stuff or like people's burials or you know whatever it was mm-hmm. um and so when i heard you just kind of read that i was like yeah you know it's so it's sometimes i feel like um jesus has been so co-opted into like this wide narrative of oppression that um it's, it's so hard to be relatable. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a like white man's religion in many ways in the, in the ways that it's presented in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just kind of wanted to bring it back to like the roots and the origin and actually how not white, you know, in the way that we understand it now, mm-hmm. Jesus is, mm-hmm. um, and how much, and, and why even La Virgencita too has like such a prominent space in like Latino communities as, you know, the the divine woman as giving birth to this divine, you know, godchild, and, and just like that relationship too. And I talk a lot about that too, in my book, Mm -hmm. you know, just in terms of La Virgencita and how much that like she herself means to me and like my own spirit, spirituality. And, and how do we kind of also create this in between, between all these things that can be, can coexist in our, in our, in our own spiritual paths and in other spiritual paths, um, as opposed to, you know, when you some I had the experiences of walking into churches and feeling like I had to strip down anything else that I was bringing with me, mm. you know, like, okay, leave la virgencita on the door. You can't bring in your Jesus from Mexico, from Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, only European Jesus is okay here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I was really like struggling with that and um, in my, you know, prior to writing the book. And so that I think that that specific paragraph really like captures all of that. You know, like I really wanted to, to reclaim Jesus, mm-hmm. not just as this white dude, you know, this dude that's for like the white privileged folks, but actually has roots that a lot of marginalized communities can relate to. Mm-hmm.
0: When you think about integrating spiritually, spirituality, and these elements, you talk about your spirituality of origin and the ways that that uh, empowered you and even the ways that it, saw it helped you to see and find healing around your mother and what she was doing with mm-hmm. you uh, in her journey. How do you think about integrating these different elements and how they serve you? So you, you came from this faith, spirituality of origin. Mm-hmm. You came to adopt this faith of Jesus or maybe even European Jesus. And now you're seeing not just Jesus, but also La Virgencita, also these different elements integrating to help you find, again, that place of harmony, peace, mm-hmm. that's integrated, mind, body, spirit. What would you say about that journey? Because I'm going to go back to find that quote. Because you talked about, it's like there's a sense of, and I love that word owning in your title, and subtitle, and it's mm. spread throughout the book. There's an ownership of it where it's, it's not somebody else's faith that they're apprenticing you in. It is a spirituality that is personal, that's owned, mm-hmm. that we walk, that I'm hearing right. from you. But what would you say about what it looks like to integrate these different things that maybe people, and I know that we've felt like, oh, this f- might feel contradictory.
1: Yeah, yeah i mean it's it was definitely something that I had to do outside of any church space. you know, I felt like I, yeah. <laughs> I whenever i I think I feel like a crazy lady whenever I talk about stuff like this or or would talk about stuff like this in like previous churches that I've attended. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely not something that is uh exhibited or talked about. Uh, even in the LA community, you know, like just kind of growing up like just in churches around here where there's an integration of these things right It's either like you got to believe in th- in this way we're very dogmatic in that way is what I'm saying mm. um, in society right Like you go to this church for that kind of experience, mm. you go to that church for that kind of experience, yeah. et cetera yeah. um, but there's like so churches themselves are also very colonized in that way in that they don't bring that wholeness of like, or like the, those different veins of being into like one existence. And so it is to me a very personal thing then, you know, I had to re-envision my own spirituality, um, from my own experiences and just from the ways that, for example, La Virgencita, um, in a lot of art in Mexico is, is Morena. She's, she's a, she's a dark skinned, you know, and she's, She's um beautiful. Like she for me, it like reminds me of my mom and my abuelita and my tias, and it's very relatable. And um, and I'm not saying like let me start my own religion and it's gonna be this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's more of like that's just how I understand spirituality and what makes sense for me. And so I had to dive deeper into 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 that for myself. And I don't and I think everyone goes through a journey like that right or like or or if they are to to kind of survive i think um their sacred spaces that they visit or whatever they do for like religion or spirituality it's hard when it doesn't relate it doesn't it doesn't encompass who you are your Mm -hmm. identity it feels like this foreign colonial thing that is trying to happen to me as opposed to like me owning this part of who I am and bringing all of who I am to it, Mm -hmm. which is I think what Jesus invites us to actually do, you know? And so to me, um, you know, divinity is just very intimately personal. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I kind of go back a lot to like the indigenous roots of like my abuela and my, you know, my tias and, and thinking about like the sacred mother Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and Jesus' role and um but it's really interesting because even if I do also go to like Latino churches, I'm a bruja or like I'm considered like this like out mm-hmm. out out of the world, you know, like just yeah. not not conventional either. So so it's fine. I just kind of exist in this spirit, <laughs> in my own little mm-hmm. coyote yeah. identity about it and, and that's okay. You know, like I don't think that I need um you know, I don't need to start a thing like it ju- it can be that it's just that intimately personal and in how I've integrated it mm-hmm. and I think that's what I guess to answer the question is yeah, I, th- I think folks have to really contend with those things that that feel mm-hmm. so foreign sometimes mm-hmm. in like these spiritual institutions to really think about like why is that? why does it feel foreign? Mm-hmm. Is it because it's coming from a diluted from a different culture or is it because it's just something that you've never thought about for yourself. You've just done because that's what was culturally embedded and like your family expected and, you know, chingonas. And, you know, something that I talk about is like, we don't just do things because it's what it's been. Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't, because we, you know, like nothing would have changed as, if that was the case. Uh, a lot of the rebeldia, like this rebellion is that comes with being a chingona is what creates creates healing it's what sort of move us moves us forward so Mm -hmm. yeah i just you know uh, to me it's like i said it's very sort of personal and intimate like the spirituality that i've been able to embrace now Mm
0: -hmm. yeah when you were sharing about (laughs) the ways that the spaces feel when you walk in or the ways that you might feel perceived when you walk in a space or even i think about like the thanksgiving table uh, if you're courageous mm-hmm. enough to go back to the Thanksgiving table that you know um, holds um, ideas that no longer serve you, that you no longer allow to govern your life, you might be walking into a situation where people might think, treat you like a witch doctor or just like an other, <laughs> or they just like, you're, not a, you're just not who you were to us before. And I think that's part of the, the systematic problem with it is because mm-hmm. you, you walk into the space and you're even a threat to how the whole thing kind of functions. Mm-hmm. But all that just made me think of like, even Jesus was doing the same thing and everybody was looking right. at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he, yeah. you know, I, I didn't come here to like upend everything. I'm not trying to like, you know, make everybody <laughs> do so. I'm just, I'm telling you that it can look like this. This is how it's supposed to look. This is the fulfillment of what that looks like. And I know mm-hmm. that might've looked like that over there, but to be here, it can look like something different. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with one of the, um, a, a member of one of our cohorts, and they were talking about how uh, just as you're going through like that deconstruction process, and it feels like, well, where is foundation? Because we were always told mm. that this thing was just the truth. Like this is just the bottom line right. anchor of everything. <laughs> And once yeah. like you start to learn the historicity of, of the scripture or the cultural mm-hmm. context or like the diversity of like what says this here and then the next verse that says that there, and mm-hmm. um, it can just be so disorienting. And for me, I'm curious about for you, when you think about Jesus, how does a spirituality... That involves Jesus serve you now,
1: mm. yeah, I think uh, for me, one of the things that I talk about is this idea of like the Mihanes, you oh, know yeah. being a miha mm-hmm. of the spiritual, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that I really love about thinking of my of kind of this miha spirituality is that. I can see myself have a direct line to Jesus as a Mija of Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, and and just kind of having this personal connection um, that to me kind of embodies a lot of protection, a lot of feeling this, you know, sort of like, so Mija for those, let me step back a little bit and say that Mija is a word that is used in, in the Latino community. Uh, it's, it's, it means my daughter, it's short for my daughter, and so it's miha. that's where it comes, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the longer, miha, which means my daughter, mm-hmm. and it's been shortened to miha, which means just, you know, still my daughter, but it's kind of like a cutesy, like, way that it kind of got shortened. I'm sure there's a lot of history on how that happened, yeah. but that's not what the point of my book is, is <laughs> I go into the etymology of chingona, but not mija, but... <laughs> um but you know it's just a term that I really love like it just makes me feel like protected safe um like okay and just all of my crazy various things that I'm trying to put back together about me and it just really also reminds me of Koyol Kaksi which I talk about Koyol Kaxi, yes, Koyo Kaxi, which I talk about in my book, Um, you know, the the dismemberment of this um, of this goddess, right, of the indígenas of Mesoamerica and how they there's this like story that I talk about in the book of how, um, you know, she got thrown down a temple and got dismembered. And that's kind of how I felt for many years of just kind of the different different disparate parts of me. Right. And to me, miha spirituality kind of like brings it all back together because it's it's kind of like, like like I mentioned this direct connection of like me, you know, like my my Jesus being like this this protective force that kind of can create this um, all of these different parts of me to kind of come back together and make me whole again, um, and and it's also encompasses like I mentioned before like la virgencita and like all these other parts of because la virgencita was the mother of jesus in some ways when i think about miha spirituality i think of myself as being also the sister of christ right and the sister of jesus and la virgencita being our mother and so i have kind of like this woman energy and this male energy feminine and masculine energies that feel complete for me as a person who like you know is is um Trying to have my own sort of spiritual walk with these with these entities, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I understand it for me and like how what made sense, you know, and, and kind of and especially for specifically like the Christ or Jesus' figure and how it makes sense for me in my spirituality. Mm.
0: I still so appreciate that. You talk about on page 148 that he's your a true curandero.
1: He is true healer. He really is. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, curanderismo in Latin America, also <laughs> why I talked about, you know, sometimes seen as a bruja or sometimes like kind of these negative connotations mm-hmm. about brujeria. Um, curanderismo is really just the the practice of healing with herbs and and chants and um, almost you know you could even think of like manifest words that kind of you put out to the universe as a way to. Manifest. I guess that's a very popular term right now, <laughs> and I may have some <laughs> some unintended innuendos right now. But you know, just that. But that's really what it is, right? Like a, a lot of indigenous kind of talking out to the universe, the spirit world, and kind of inviting healing, and using uh, the land as a way to heal. You know, and like learning which which plantas, like which plants to use for what, so that we could heal. That's what curanderismo you know, the history of it or like the, kind of the, what it is. And in many ways, that's kind of what Jesus feels like me too, like a curandero, because in many ways he's this connection to the divine God, you know, and, but also walked the earth and was here and kind of understood that duality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it reminds me of curandero, like the true curandero in that way that it's, it's an understanding of both and it, it doesn't have to be one or the other.
0: Mm-hmm alma i so appreciate you and your time i really appreciate this book and i think for for me like the 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 place where this lands in this conversation is just the there's a sense of agency and power um that from within like our our mind body spirit responds to the spaces where we need healing and what is true. So when you talked about sitting and being quiet, different things come up and it might be whatever those emotions are. And we allow those things to invite us to our own cicatrices, to make healing, to make peace, to create scars, to create integration, to things that might feel um, like they can't be held together, but that we can mature to a space to hold them together and to allow The divine to really like create wholeness and connectivity where we can make sense, not just like intellectual sense, but embodied and spiritual sense of our stories. And for you to share your story so generously here in ways that I think are instigating healing and wholeness in places that you'll never hear about, I think are incredible. So I think next step for you here, you're listening, you got to put your dishes down or actually pull over to the side of the road. And open up your Amazon app and order Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice by Dr. Alma Saragoza Petty. Alma, is there any other places you want people to connect to you?
1: Yeah, you can connect with me on Instagram at the doc, Z-P, D-O-C-Z-P. And um, I also have my email there if folks want to connect on a personal level around just, um, you know, talks or just even how the book has impacted you. It's been really uh, nurturing to hear that uh, more than one person reads it and that it's uh, <laughs> it's a book that's impacted folks uh, in different ways. Um, and so I always invite people's feedback.
0: Awesome. I'm, I'm so grateful, again, like I said, for your time uh, and the impact. I, again, you've shown us the way, not just to like, it's not from a, I've did all this and look, this is the way you can do it too. But to be uh, vulnerable with your own scars and to invite us into that journey was so unleashing, empowering, um, educating for me. It helped me. Even as a, a, a black man, <laughs> um, <laughs> I always feel strange, you know, trying to, you know. It's uh, a woman written from a Chingona perspective to Chingonas and but it's, it's liberating for anybody who reads it. So grab a copy of the book. Thank you, Alma. We appreciate you so much. For those of you who are listening, uh, you are Chingona, and you can be Chingona whether you feel it right now or you're in a depressed place. Uh, and this book will be a journey that I'm sure will help you to own your own inner knowing and to establish mind, body, spirit, unity and peace and harmony and for you to kind of integrate your own kind of spiritual place and to um, just, you, I think you'll sense the validation of your own intimate walk with the divine. So thank you, Alma. We appreciate you. And thank you all for listening. Peace.